0: Welcome to the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel. Brain Fuel is a cerebral beverage that helps you find your flow state, enhance mental focus, and cognitive endurance. Elevate the brain and the body. To get yours, visit brainfuel.com, B R E I N fuel.com, and enter the code LIFO15 at checkout for your 15% off discount, L I F O 1 5. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel, here with today's guest and Heather Lawrence, Director of Operations with CrossFit. Really excited to talk to her uh, today about our second edition of 20 Secrets to Success that will be coming out here soon. Obviously, a lot happening in the world of college athletics with NIL and, and the news that has recently Um, Transpired as as you know, college student athletes are allowed to make make money on their name, image, and likeness. Um, Heather, you know, I had a little bit of a a, we'll call it small success within college athletics, but you had much more success um, in the pool. So, you know, when you reflect back on your time as a student athlete and what you're seeing transpire now and what will happen in the future, I mean, how much of an impact is that going to make? Uh, within the realm of college athletics.
1: Hey Jake, well thanks, thanks for having me first of all. So just super pumped to have this book coming out in the second edition and to be continuing to co-author this with you. And then even just have somebody like you to talk through these issues with, Um, You know, looking back over the years and it's been years at this point um, since I have been in that student athlete role, it's just amazing how much has changed yet how much has stayed the same. I mean, these conversations were going on when I was a student athlete from 94 to 98 at the University of Florida. And I can tell you, nobody ever thought we'd actually get to the point where we are right now. You know, thinking about name, image, and likeness being something that has tangible value for student athletes, and not just in a few sports, but across the entire ecosystem of college athletics, um, it's just mind-blowing to think about the fact that we're here and so when I reflect back on my career as a student-athlete and I was a diver springboard and platform diver at the University of Florida um, I had come in with some experience on the United States national team um, never like some sort of you know super super superstar but um, you know always a contender kind of at the national level have some southeastern conference records and when these conversations came up, you know, when you think about who could potentially benefit, it was never thought of to be the folks that were in the quote, Olympic sports. And actually at that, at that time period, some of the sports were still called tier two within some institutions. Um, it was always thinking about what it meant for football and basketball and really just men's football and basketball. And so I think the biggest thing that has stood out to me over these first couple of days and weeks in this new era of college athletics, is that it's not just football and basketball. And I think that's really, really cool. So I don't know what you think about that.
0: Yeah, I think it's amazing just to see. I mean, I even, again, there's so many stories that are out there already, but even um, two sisters, you know, twin sisters that are on the same team that are, um, I believe it was basketball, but that, you know, they're getting uh, a shot at a kind of a dual sponsorship, right? And And there's just going to be more and more examples to come, but I think to your point, it's not just football and basketball on the men's side, it's every sport. And it's, you know, um, understanding that, I mean, look, this isn't college athletics, but you just had a 15-year-old sign with a professional women's soccer league team, right, in the, in the NWSL. That's another example of, okay, there's, there's a lot of superstars that can leverage their brand, leverage their social identity. Um, to ho- ultimately build a business for themselves. And, you know, it's interesting that the, the NCAA, uh, everyone goes pro in something other than their sport for the most part, right? And that's kind of where this whole concept of the first book came from is, you know, there's 99% that won't go pro in their sport. But when you think about the true experience that the student athlete will now get on top of an education, on top of the athletic experience they're now an entrepreneur to some extent and will be able to build their own business depending on you know their ability in, in that you know specific market they're in or or what their stature is i mean think about that heather right like it's it's an int- you basically have 4 years of entrepreneur on your resume when you walk out in a sense
1: absolutely and you know we've already seen that we've have a young woman that started a clothing line right so they're the student athletes Number one, they're way more mature and way smarter um, these days because they've experienced so much of this in this digital world, right? And I think the interesting thing also is even coming out of a COVID year with kind of this teaser for the last 18 months that this might happen, which of course is why we got it in the book and why we wanted to provide that type of guidance for student-athletes is that we were pretty sure as an author team, this was going to happen. But as you can imagine, like we weren't like felt that like we had an inside track on it. Right. We had to go with it. And at some point this was going to click. And that's why we happen to be on the cutting edge and the leading edge of this topic with respect to getting something published. That doesn't mean there aren't other people out there writing on it, but not within a format that really fits for an incoming student athlete in a college environment. And I think that that entrepreneurial nature is second nature to many student athletes anyway. And we've seen it for years and years. We've seen student athletes finish their competitive career. They've gotten into some different business interests. And what this does, it compresses a timeline for those opportunities. No longer do student athletes have to wait until they're in their senior capstone student athlete class to think about what's next. They can start building where they wanna be. And maybe it's their side hustle after college also. This doesn't have to be like their primary means of income, but think about what's happening in kind of our global economy and the way people are able to kind of have a career that might even be their primary career and whether that's a professional athlete or as uh, using the academic area of interest and going in a more traditional career path, whatever these student athletes establish during their time, and coming into their student athlete experience, it's something they can carry on and have with them. And if it doesn't continue after their four years or after they graduate, they've had that experience and they understand that and they'll bring that to a future employer. The one thing that is gonna be really interesting is that student athletes have a very limited amount of time outside of practice in school as it is now. And this is not an easy thing to accomplish, right? I mean, most,
0: I mean, most entrepreneurs, they need every day, every hour of every day of every week to accomplish what they're going to do, right? So to just sit back and think, look, you got to look through a different lens and different perspective of, hey, not every student athlete's going to be able to have, you know, 20, even let alone probably 10 hours a week to even focus on this type of stuff. Granted, there are priorities, but hey, like we say in the book, right? Like you've got athletics, you've got school, and you've got everything else in your life, being family, friends, and, and everything else that encompasses it, you got to pick two of the three. Well, now you've got entrepreneur that sits in there, and now you've got to pick two of the four. I mean, how, how does that work?
1: Oh, man, it's crazy. And I'll tell you, some of the coolest conversations I've had about this topic are actually with someone that uh, we were fortunate to include in the book, and that's Carrie McCoy, one of the most decorated wrestlers in the history of the sport of wrestling globally, and then specifically in the United States. So Kerry, if, this, if NIL had been in existence during his time as a competitive wrestler, Kerry would have had all sorts of opportunities during his wrestling career and could have carried those on. Talking to him, he thinks if he was a wrestler, even today with the legislation, as it was expected to, to come about like it has, that he would have really been challenged to make this happen for himself. And he's not sure where he would have been with respect to how much time and energy he would have put into it. And it's one person's story. And the, one of the things we're seeing evolve are some of these supporting companies and programs that are helping institutions leverage student athlete uh, valuations and leverage those relationships. So the student athletes will have some support, but like you're saying, it is adding kind of a fourth pillar to the expectations.
0: Yeah, I mean the fourth pillar is also you know when when you think about what pays for their scholarship, right? It's the performance on the field in the pool on the court wherever it might be. That's, you know, we'll we'll say secondary, right? This you got to get good grades to stay eligible to even, you know, have a chance and an opportunity to do that. And then like you also got to live your life, right? Like I think we've all learned through you know the pandemic that families, you know, uh, that much more important, you know, you, you've got to stay close with your loved ones. And I think that'll hit home with with a lot of student athletes as well, whether it's on campus or, or at home. And when you think about the opportunity to make money uh, from, you know, various opportunities, it's not going to all of a sudden just be everybody and anyone. It's, you know, like you said, there's going to have to be a lot of work that goes into it. And there's gotta be a a support structure, right? You can't just create this stuff out of thin air. I mean, look within the sponsorship realm as a whole, even if you look, take the, you know, kind of the multimedia rights approach, right? And and you're looking at Weirfield IMG College with a lot of schools and, and various others, there's a massive support system to help generate dollars from a sponsor perspective for various sports. And there's an entire company with a lot of backing and a lot of funding to make that happen, right? If you're just one student athlete going out and making it happen on your own, it's going to be pretty, pretty difficult, I would imagine. But you also have to know, you know, Heather, as as you think back to maybe trying to put yourself in the shoes, then, like, do you know who to include the right people into your circle or into your life right like who do you trust who do you go to when you have an issue when you have a problem all this stuff is new so when it's new and something happens like what do you do right who do you go to and, and i think that'll be a really interesting thing to see what happens but um what, what are your thoughts on that
1: i think it's really interesting and i think there's some landmines, and i i think that many institutions are setting themselves up to avoid many of the landmines but if you think about it, like all of those things that a sponsorship, an agency, or a professional in that space knows about category conflict, deconflicting different things, um, alignment of values. Like when you're 17, do you even know where your values may stand in a few years or what the risk is of that company going bankrupt, saying something they shouldn't through a tweet. And now you're aligned with that. And maybe for, for a long time, That stuff like lives on in our social and digital world these days. Um, And so we saw a lot of action in week one with NIL. We saw models ranging from GoPuff offering every single student athlete an opportunity, which was super cool, to some very targeted um, and big dollar deals. And I'm sure more details will continue to come out as we move forward with some of those. And some of them are super creative and look like they really do align with the authentic student athlete and who that person is. And I think those are the ones that are gonna really resonate with people. It's like the, the persona that we already know and love and that person being taught as a student athlete to be their authentic self. Changing who you are, a misalignment of a relationship with a specific brand to get the paycheck. Um, as, as shiny as that seems upfront, like those don't go well long-term normally right?
0: Yeah, and you have to think about how much, I mean, look, I think about how much I change from my freshman year to my sophomore year to my junior year to my senior year. You, in some ways, become different people <laughs> each year, right? You change so much in that point of your life that how do you know that you're going to align with one brand in your freshman year that you're still going to align with in your senior year? Not really sure, right? And, and will the brand adapt with with you and how you change. And um, the one really interesting thing, you know, as we kind of talked a little bit about DE&I within the book as well as we, as we added some new content, you know, is, is how does this all wrap up into social issues and diversity and inclusion, right? And, and what will that look like as it relates to student athletes being able to monetize and, and work with brands in certain campaigns? It'll be interesting, right?
1: Yeah, I agree, and the time has never been better right now for women in sport to take advantage of the attention on the growth and the power of the women consumer in the sport industry. So I think that's a really interesting um, place to be While the, at a time when the legislation is moving forward for those student-athletes. So I'm hopeful that female student-athletes and um, athletes from underrepresented groups will have uh, the support they need and the structure in place from the institutional level to help them capitalize on that in a way that, um, again, is authentic to, to themselves. And then I also think the, that the companies, I think this is an opportunity for a lot of brands to walk the walk. So we've seen it over the last, you know, A year and a half or so, we've seen the public statements about equity and inclusion within the workplace, within brands, and the data continues to show us that there's been almost no forward progress, real forward progress within those companies that have made the statements. So there's certainly exceptions, but I actually think that the generation of student athletes we have now has never been more passionate about social issues than any group that has come before them collectively and holistically. And I think smart brands that truly believe in it. So the brand's got to be authentic as well. This is an opportunity for them to capture this age group and this generation and really have an impact moving forward and see some more progress within DEI.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. And, and the the stat you mentioned of, of no real forward progress, that could be an episode for another day, but I right. think but I think it's interesting. Right. And, and then how does that align with university and how they go about those things? And, and are they public or private? Right. Like there's I mean, Andy talks about it all the time on the podcast that college athletics is the most complex you know, system that we have from an athletic standpoint. Right. Just the amount of constituents that you deal with. Um, and it'll be re- really interesting to see you know, how that unfolds. I want to talk a little bit about the book real quick, because we, we included this new NIL chapter that also has some DE&I content. We've got some new contributors. We've got a new forward from Stan Wilcox at the NCAA, uh, as well as a new afterword from Dr. Christopher Parker with the National Junior College uh, Athletic Association. And look, it, it applies to all and, and and every student athlete. And so, you know, to kind of remind the listeners who haven't heard of it, it's really... 10 secrets on how do you succeed as a student athlete in your time, maximize that experience and then take that experience and what you've learned and how do you apply it to the transition, right? That transition that everybody dreads that no one wants to go through from student athlete to real life and out of sport, right. For, for the 99%. Um, Heather, any, any thoughts or additions as to, um, you know, why listeners should pick up a copy um, what they can tune in and, and learn about.
1: Yeah, I think it's really easy to think the book is only for that student athlete, but we just talked about how important the support system around every student athlete is. And so my recommendation has continued to be parents, um, support family members. Um, It's not just for the student athlete. I think it's really difficult even if you were a student athlete back in the day, um, like I was, right? If If you're 15 years or more out of being a student athlete or maybe you were a high school student athlete, this book can really help you understand what the student athlete is going through. Because not only does it coach the student athlete through that time in their athletic career during their college years, but it also, as it leads into a specific secret for success, it highlights kind of why that secret's important, right? Where the pitfalls are, what we've learned collectively as authors. We all share some personal insights, some of which, uh, you know, I would kind of hope never to have to talk about again, because it's challenging. We go through ups and downs in life, but we're really transparent about it throughout the book. We want people to learn from our experiences, um, and help everybody just have the best experience possible and then support those student athletes in, in making their experience the best possible.
0: Yeah. 100%. And you also mentioned one thing as we wrap up is, is the high school student athlete, right? Like this, this entire, you know, evolution of, of how the student athlete will be viewed, it's going to have a trickle down effect too, to the high school student athlete. And we haven't even seen what that's going to be like, but that's going to affect the recruiting, you know, c- component of it. There's going to like where kids go to high school because of, you know, the, the market that they're in, or look, we don't know what it's going to do, but I can guarantee you there will be some sort of shift and, and change within high school and the youth, you know, athletic and sports, systems as we know it just because of you know look the youth and and high school system as you know Heather is set up so that you can try and chase that dream of being a student-athlete right like everyone wants to do that and so now that you can actually not only is everyone chasing the scholarship because your school you know to some extent your school might get paid for now you're chasing the fact that you can make money too that's a whole different ball game.
1: Absolutely and it will change from the lore of that full ride to the scholarship for top recruits being well less of a value than their potential earning through the opportunity to monetize their name, image, and likeness. College athletics, high school athletics, youth sport um, was forever changed over the last few weeks. And for those of us that are thankfully on the outside of it now, um, although I do have two children, Um, you know, looking back in, it's a fascinating place to be. And there's nothing I want to do more than help support those student athletes that are navigating this at this time in their lives.
0: Yeah, I can't. um, Look, having worked with them, um, having friends who are student athletes, you know, having those that are transitioned and even gone into the pros and to understand what professional athlete goes through from this perspective, right? you can't assume that every professional athlete has a endorsement deal or a sponsorship deal, right? Most of them don't even have them. Um, And and that's, you know, the majority, right? And we're talking about the same thing. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Um, Heather, really appreciate you joining the podcast. Again, for those who are listening, 20 Secrets to Success for NCAA Student Athletes um, coming out on July 23rd. Find it on Amazon, pre-order now and click on the link in the episode details. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by BrainFuel. Remember, you can get 15% off your next purchase at brainfuel.com, B-R-E-I-N, fuel.com with the code LIFO15, L-I-F-O-1-5 at checkout. And if you like BrainFuel, give us a shout out, comment, share, and leave a review.